Hello everyone, this is Sam of Historian Splaining. A historian tells you why everything you know is wrong. So I wanted to put out a brief message for my patrons, my listeners, and for innocent bystanders for that matter, marking the fact that as of this spring, as of a couple of months ago, I've been making this podcast for five years which is a completely arbitrary marker, but nonetheless it gives, it provides an opportunity to talk about this podcast and how it's grown and where it's been, where it might be going. So I will talk about those things and I will thank my patrons individually. I'll give a little preview of where the podcast might be going. And then lastly, I will give an excerpt, a a randomly chosen teaser excerpt from my last lecture, which was posted on Patreon for patrons only, which is Doorways in Time number four, the library of Ashurbanipal. So as a few of you may know or even remember, this started out as just kind of an experiment after I had a few months without doing any adjunct professor work. So I tried this out with no advertisement or paid promotion of any sort, just putting it out into the ether and seeing if people liked it. And since that time, it has just grown bit by bit month by month. Nothing has exactly been a viral explosion. There's been no sort of flashover moment, but it's just gained an audience little by little. And as of now, as of the beginning of June 2022, on YouTube, my channel has almost 1900 subscribers, a good number for a channel that only puts out audio content and not actual videos. As for podcast platforms, I post on SoundCloud and then the RSS feed brings it to other platforms. And on SoundCloud, I currently have 463 subscribers and there are various others like Stitcher, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, each of which have maybe a few hundred subscribers. And so altogether, based on the statistics I have, I would estimate that at this point, Historian Splaining probably has about 4,000 frequent listeners through these different channels. As for the productions that have been most popular and that seem to have reached the most people, the different platforms work very differently. YouTube has an algorithm, more people search through the the YouTube search engine, so different things will pop up for different users. And on YouTube, basically the 9 out of the top 10 are lectures that I've posted that make a certain amount of sense, that are on popular subjects people are very curious about, and those include Who Wrote the Bible New Testament, The Jews of Europe from the Middle Ages to the French Revolution, Who Wrote the Bible Hebrew Scriptures, Judaism, What Is It and Where Does It Come From? So you can see there's a lot of interest in religious subjects and religious history, and then also Spanish and Portuguese expansion and the conquest of the Americas, In the Ocean of Land, The History of Central Asia, Part 1, The History of the Roma or Gypsies, Part 1, Middle Ages 2, The Dark Age, and rounding out the top 10, History of Universities, Part 1. So there's interest here, again, you can see in different parts of the world and in medieval history. But I'm saving number one, the one that has stood out and has gotten the most plays on YouTube, even though it was posted less than one year ago, is History of the British and Irish Travelers. And that 
probably is the lecture that I've posted that has reached the most people thus far overall. And I think it's unusual as an attempt to cover an important, difficult, complicated topic that scholars have not grappled with very much, particularly not in a way that is rigorous and researched and aimed to be understandable and accessible to the public. So that's what has really rocketed to the top in terms of my YouTube plays. As for SoundCloud, which is the other platform that gives the most kind of easily accessible, usable statistics, on SoundCloud, it's more straightforward that in general, older, earlier lectures have accumulated more plays over time. But still, it's interesting to see what has kind of made its way into the top 10. So the most played on SoundCloud have been Middle Ages 1, Exploding the Myth of the Middle Ages, Myth of the Month 18, Robin Hood, Part 1. That's gotten a lot of response. Middle Ages 2, The Dark Age, Middle Ages 3, The High Middle Ages, Judaism, What Is It and Where Does It Come From, India, Part 1, Creating Civilization in South Asia, Freemasonry, Its Origins, Its Myths, and Its Rituals, Back to the Dark Age, How People Survived the Fall of the Roman Empire, The Historical Jesus, and number 10, Dissecting the Dawn of Everything, which was my discussion of the book The Dawn of Everything with fellow podcaster Jeff Schulenberger. So bit by bit, my commentaries have reached different people. They've attracted the attention sometimes of some other scholars or other podcasters for the public and also of journalists and the media. And you may have seen, if you follow on Twitter, you may have seen that last year I was interviewed by a journalist, Will Stone, for an NPR report on the pandemic and making historical comparisons and putting the pandemic into historical context. I was quoted in that radio report. And then also this year, I was interviewed by a journalist with Cincinnati Magazine who was writing about the Scottish and Irish travelers who regularly gather in Cincinnati, Ohio, and she wanted historical and social context and she saw that my lecture about British and Irish travelers had gotten a lot of response. So bit by bit, with more exposure, I've also, of course, gained more patrons. It took a total of about four years until last summer to get up to 100 patrons, so it was a slow climb. It's picked up a little bit in the last year, <clears throat> and I'm now presently at 142 patrons. And what that means, all in all is that if I do post regularly, as I try to do, with two or three paid posts, open public posts paid for by patrons each month, that is basically just enough to cover my basic living expenses. So I'm certainly not getting rich here, but it is unusual to be able to just pay rent, bills, groceries with a podcast. In addition to that, of course, it's been enormously rewarding. And even though I did this really for several years without making enough money to pay basic expenses and have juggled it with, with other business activities and with adjuncting, Nonetheless, I've kept doing it because it's rewarding to reach people, to hear from people. I've been able to actually meet some people and make new friends through this medium. <laughs> and also, really, it's rewarding because this is a way to be constantly learning. I'm always researching something. I'm always putting new facts and new ideas, new stories together. So I feel like I'm constantly growing. But that being said, nonetheless, I do ultimately need to 
make a living. So I have been, I've put out lately a few applications to other jobs, jobs with historical societies. You know, who knows if that will result in anything. But nonetheless, if you want to keep hearing these podcasts, I urge you to sign up, give some support, even if it's just a dollar, to help make this financially feasible. And even if you find that you can't do that, it's highly helpful if you tell friends, post about it. And also, one particular platform, Apple Podcasts, has a function where listeners can rate and review the podcast. So if you can do that, go on Apple Podcasts and say what you think about it. Give it the highest rating that you think is justified. And that's a great way to support and help get through to more people, even if you can't give monetary support. And of course, if you don't know, if you become a patron, you'll get access to patron-only lectures, which includes every other installment of my ongoing series, History of the United States and 100 Objects, Myths of the Month, and the Great Archaeological Discoveries, and my latest one on the Library of Ashurbanipal is number four in that series, Doorways in Time, on the Great Archaeological Discoveries. And ultimately, my hope is that if I can get up to about 200 patrons, I think it's reasonable that I could take on someone else, another person, a producer, a collaborator of some sort, to deal with technical issues that are kind of just beyond my comfort zone because ironically I'm actually a very low-tech person as my friends will tell you <laughs> I am easily flustered by technology but I do think it could be very helpful and interesting to make videos so if you are a supporter you can hear all of my continuing series which many people say that they enjoy in addition I've also gone back and started making some very old episodes from over four years ago. So going back to that early series on the Middle Ages, I've started making every other one of those also private and only accessible through Patreon. Looking forward, I've gotten an initial agreement from a fairly prominent, well-liked, very accomplished historian who's known to have, quote, a thing for things. I've gotten an agreement from her to come on and collaborate on the next installment of History of the United States in 100 Objects, and I know that she would be perfect for that, but since we haven't worked out the details or logistics, I won't give any more than that away just yet. I've also been asked recently by the Yale Journal of Law and the Humanities to to present for them a paper commenting on technology, law, and design, and how they can be directed to help foster healthy, in quotes, healthy democracy and healthy discourse from a historical perspective. So the plan is to have an interdisciplinary symposium on this question of how the humanities can guide and inform technology policy with these problems of democracy in mind. And I've been asked to comment on it from the historian's perspective. So my plan is to research and write a paper and compose a presentation for that. And I also then expect that I will make a podcast installment too giving my comments on those questions and dealing with issues and anxieties about mass media and technology and conspiracy theories, paranoia, the undermining of democracy, etc. So as I've mentioned previously, I hope that if I get enough support, I'll be able to take on another person, a producer or collaborator who could help 
in producing videos. And also just recently, I've been considering trying to produce a series on music and music in history. Since I've been listening and thinking and sometimes posting about classical music and opera, including Mozart, Schubert, Vivaldi, and specifically in opera, The Magic Flute, Offenbach, and The Tales of Hoffman, Bizet, and others. And this is coming after a long interest and obsession that I've had with gospel and folk music. You may know that my, my personal favorite is Rosetta Tharp, the gospel artist who built the bridge into rock music. For one reason, I love it because you can see the evolution of songs and how songs like, say, Peace in the Valley or Old Time Religion get revised and transformed as they pass down. You can see a sort of living tradition as it unfolds in real time. So I've thought that it could be really interesting to, to talk about these things with historical context and with the music, but that could be very complicated, especially in terms of getting the rights to different music recordings, which is something I've occasionally managed to do here and there, but it's quite uh, it's quite a process and there are many complications. So it's the sort of thing that a collaborator or producer could really make a huge difference for. So if that sounds interesting or appealing to you, again, please sign on as a patron or tell friends, rate and review. Now, as for my current patrons, who right now are active patrons according to Patreon, right now I have 142 after much up and down fluctuation. You know, it's two steps forward, one step back. But as of right now, there are 142. Most of them, as far as I can discern from communications and from their profiles, most of them are in the U.S. There also are several each in Canada, the United Kingdom, and Australia several in other countries around the world, including Israel and India, and several in various EU countries, including Slovakia, Sweden, and Greece. They include, from what I've seen and heard from patrons, they include a number of artists, including painters and musicians, several scholars in various fields, a number of working people, including at least one nurse who says that she listens while commuting to work at the hospital, at least three scientists in different fields, several journalists, including, I may have mentioned, I'm not sure if I've mentioned before, Sparky Abraham, Carrie Feibel, and the sister and brother, Abby and Robbie Martin, and some fellow podcasters, such as Jeff Schulenberger and Michael Sokolovsky, whose voices you have heard at different times on the podcast. And to thank my actual patrons individually as they identify themselves through Patreon, I'll name first the big 64, those who have contributed the most cumulatively over their entire time as patrons, most of them being longtime patrons. Those are Carl Biagetti, Ellen Siskind, Ken Muller, Judy Siskind, Michael Biagetti, Dan Hernandez, Christine Pacheco, Peter Goldstein, David C. Lavery, John Sullivan, Ozzie Elowich, Rob Balgley, Joseph Murray, Gail and Jim Elowich, John, Adam Kath, Carrie Feibel, Alex Muller, Amandeep Boyer, Anonymous, Brooke Meachin, Karen Fagan, Kirill Chepeznikov, Shamant Gila, Andrew Daldano, Jeffrey Schulenberger, Siyuan Soon, Susan Marsh, Spencer, Eric Daffron, Douglas Horgan, Richard Murray, Mike Coffey, Karen Plaschutznig, Jeannie Lyons, Warren Green, Paul is East of the Pecos, 
Oliver, Monica Kuniyoshi, Slate Mills, Becky Mann, Jonah Horwitz, Heather Anderson, Kweku, William Finn, Michael Sokolovsky, Colin Gorey, ZMK5, Martin Casey, David Aslanian, Caroline, Marie-Louise Wayhill, Lars Rotem Krangnes, Angelica Falkenstein, Carol Schriefter, Adam Hustler, Suzanne Lee, Sean Greening, Emily Klosterman, Andrew Smith, William Cux, Golb, Don Gittick, and Andrea. And all in all, as I said, most of these are longtime patrons. If I recall correctly, I think that John Sullivan was the first person to sign up as a patron, and he's still in there, <laughs> still hanging in all these years later. But the one exception I should mention also is Don Gittick, who signed up relatively recently, but signed up with the biggest single person pledge that I've ever had. So he rocketed into this list relatively quickly. So special thanks there to Don Gittick. And then there are an additional other 78 patrons who also have been contributing. And those are Rebecca Cressley, Robert Wilfong, Lauren Doroche, Robin McDavid, Steve Hamlet, Jane Feibel, Chris Ritchie, June, Katia, Joel Star Avalos, Media Roots Radio with Abby and Robbie Martin, Charles McLaughlin, Sam, Ross Kennedy, Chris Roberts, David J.J. Newsom, Nina Moses, Nicole Morse, Nicholas Rennie, Monroe Labuis, Eitan, Anne-Marie Lonsdale, Oi Ung, Sparky Abraham, Jack Sadler, Kirsten Lamb, Mark S. Featherstone, Nicholas Andre DiMarco, Anna Visnitskaya, Jason A. Baber, Tor Lindblom, Peter Golbus, Paul Roditi, Ichiba, Hannah, Evan Hafeli, Adrian Renix, El Heath, Michael Greenberg, L.S. Maureen Whelan, Helen Lashinsky, Christopher Butler, Marios K., Enrique Alexandra, Michael O'Connor, Yulia Gilich, Mike Sheketoff, John Shea, Crystalline Faith, John Baber Lucero, Annika Garcia, Sam Ness, Joshua Maravelius, Benjamin Plafker, Nancy Schaefer, Zachary Talbot, Vasu, Richie Cunningham, Megan Haney, Kevin Martin, JBH, GCS, Devin Johnson, Julia Amin, Candice Archer, George Kachidorian, Ambrose Gilson, Tim Volker, Nick Darrington, Daniel Tobin, John Green, Nicholas Blanchard, Totally, Ray, Emily Randolph, Theodore La Barbera, and Lachlan Paff. So thank you so much to all of you. I should mention there also are a further 16 patrons who currently have been declined in Patreon. So if, if you want your name next time, if, I'm, if I have enough lung capacity <laughs> to keep doing this, uh, please update your information and get back into the active patrons list on Patreon. If you need help with that, let me know. But it's uh, these people who have supported this podcast for all these five years that have allowed it to get to this point. I will just close out with a, as I said, a randomly selected snippet from my latest patron-only lecture, Doorways in Time, The Great Archaeological Discoveries, Number 4, The Library of Ashurbanipal. Thank you. 
this significant find really electrified his team. There were celebrations, but also the news spread like wildfire among the networks of Aramaic and Arabic-speaking people around Mosul. And it was only a matter of time until the news of this discovery reached the French consul himself, Victor Place. So Place rushed in, found the site where they had been digging, and immediately protested and objected. But Rassam at this point, when this conflict is coming to a head, Rassam at this point argues that the permission to excavate Kuyunjik, this major mound, had been given already years earlier to Layard, right? And so in that way, the Ottoman authorities had given that title, you could say, to Layard. But it had been then the British consul Rawlinson in Baghdad who had then made this bargain with the French. And Rassam argued that Rawlinson had no power to cede a right that he had never had and that didn't belong to him in the first place. And so Rassam took a firm stand that he had this permission granted to him from Layard and in turn from the Ottoman government. So Victor Place, rather than starting another brawl, backed down and allowed the excavation of Kuyunjik to continue. So Rassam and his team began excavating what they found to be a large palace complex right where Rassam had expected it to be, in the northern end of the mound called Kuyunjik. And this complex came to be called the Southwest Palace, or eventually, once more was learned about it, the Palace of Ashurbanipal. And they first found a large series of staterooms, most of them lined with long, elaborate friezes of relief sculptures. And these were very brilliant. They removed many of them to then send back to the British Museum or other sites. And one of them in particular, an especially long stateroom, showed an elaborate series of dramatic scenes of the emperor hunting lions. And these showed exquisite realism and detail in the bodies and the motions of both the humans and their horses and the lions. And Rassam himself was mainly interested in this art. For him, that was the main goal and trophy to be gained. He paid relatively little attention to the writing. He didn't necessarily think that was as appealing to the public, as noteworthy, and almost all of it was in a writing system that he himself didn't read. However, the British consul back in Baghdad, Rawlinson, insisted that Rassam look for inscribed tablets. So this may be the one significant instruction that Rawlinson actually did give to him, was to look for and gather tablets with texts and inscriptions. And Rassam found, according to a book that he later wrote, Rassam found on the floor of that large stateroom with the lion hunting friezes, which may have been the throne room, scattered on the floor piles of terracotta tablets, most of them inscribed in the writing system we call cuneiform, which, as I said, Rassam could not read. And most of them also were stamped with seals that may have been official seals from the imperial government. And a few also were inscribed in other writing systems, such as Egyptian or Phoenician writing. 
So Rassam gathered many of these tablets and then shared them and showed them to both French officials and to Rawlinson, the British consul who was an antiquarian, and asked them to provide translations. And only when these different experts from both nations gave him consistent translations was he persuaded that they really were able to read this writing system and that there was something significant and revealing there. So they continued to excavate for several months until in March 1854, Rassam collected the various sculptures and tablets that they had gathered, and he left to go back to Britain because he had basically run out of funds. The grants that he had been given by the British Museum and other quasi-official sources were now run out. Then subsequently, another antiquarian named Kenneth Loftus took over the project, and he had backing from private funds. So maybe some private donors back...